Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and uh, no spooky voice this week because I just got off of an arduous 12-hour night shift, and uh, I just don't have the fun spooky in me right now. What I do have in me uh, are uh, wishes for a happy anniversary to my incredible, beautiful, supportive, amazing wife, Mrs. Troublemaker. 13 years, 2005, October 15th, I married this incredible woman, and uh, 13 years later, we're still having a great, amazing, awesome time, and we will be specifically having a great, amazing, awesome time in Savannah, Georgia, this weekend. Uh, we will be attending the Vampire Ball, which is being put on by MarkstarCon. Uh, it's our pal Mark Baggett, who was on the show a couple of years ago. I have not been able to attend as many of his events as I would like, but I can tell you, you need to Google MarkstarCon, find the website, check out the events. You've never been to anything like this. This guy and his crew... They work so amazingly hard to create immersive themed events. Uh, bands like our friends, the Casket Creatures and Radio Cult, uh, play. They have DJs. They have incredible light systems. The decorations are are very like whatever the theme is. It's just incredible. I can't believe one the amount of work that goes into each and every one of Mark's uh, Khan's events, and two how many events this guy puts on it's crazy uh but we're very excited we're going to be in savannah we're going to be celebrating our anniversary there which means if you see us in savannah you are legally obligated to buy us alcohol or dinner or maybe if you run into us in there there's some big toy store there our pal red ranger told me about uh if you run into us there you have to buy us each a toy of some kind uh that that's it's the law it's the law i think it's in the constitution and there are still a few people left who value that piece of paper and while they do i think we need to take advantage of the laws therein so uh anyway happiest anniversary to my dear wife we're gonna have an awesome time this weekend and we're gonna have an awesome uh 13 26 39 more years together Uh, i'm looking forward to it another thing that i want to mention is yes it is the halloween season that's why we're going to a vampire ball uh needless things podcast each and every episode in october every single friday will be spooky themed so please do visit needlessthingspodcast.com for the newest episodes of the needless things podcast and throughout the week uh myself myself you guys i told you it was a late night myself and beth will be providing spooky content throughout the rest of the week i've had some spooky toy reviews uh we've been doing all kinds of different things Uh, a little different than the old needless things i mean not really Uh, and, and and that is something i wanted to bring up is that needless things is on wordpress now as opposed to blogger so it's much cleaner and sleeker and uh there's not as much content we're getting there you know we're going to build every single day and i'm kind of looking at ways to bring some of the old uh site over to this site just so it has a little more bulk uh but i don't know i don't know how difficult that process might be and i have no free time whatsoever right now uh to mess with that so that's going to be kind of an ongoing thing but anyway please do go check out the new site it's much easier to comment now. I, I am hopeful that we'll have more interaction on the website. But you can also join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group and uh, get in on the conversation there. Uh, everybody is welcome to post movie trailers, comic book news, toy news, whatever. It's a very open community, uh, and I encourage everyone to contribute in whatever way they want to, as long as it's positive uh, and, and not political. 
no politics, and no douchebags. That's kind of our only rules. Uh, so what else have we got here? I had my notes in front of me for my first run through. We lost power seven or eight minutes into that, so I'm, I had to start over again. Uh, but but it's okay because I've covered the things I covered. I'm back up to speed. And uh, Monday, Monday, I'm going to be talking about John Carpenter on NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. I've written up a nice post kind of looking back at his horror movies and what they mean to me. And then uh, next Friday will be the new Halloween movie and our Needless Commentary for October for a movie called Hack-O-Lantern. It's already been recorded, it's in the can, and it's ridiculous. You guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, And also, I want to put over, I did not expect this, but you may remember Missy Suicide, the incredible esteemed creator of SuicideGirls.com, came on the show a few months ago to promote the Blackheart Burlesque Tour when it came through Atlanta. Well, Suicide Girls have contacted me and want to promote with needless things again which i think is great because it's like literally the first time that's ever happened uh so i am going to tell you guys the suicide girls blackheart burlesque tour is returning to atlanta on october the 20th at 9 p.m at center stage once again Uh, it's a perfect venue for this uh there's not a bad seat in the house i really love it's great for wrestling shows it's great for music shows and uh as we found out back in i think it was february maybe uh great for burlesque shows but uh, the Suicide Girls Blackheart Burlesque is unlike any other burlesque act you've ever seen, filled with pop culture references, a high-energy indie soundtrack, and the sexiest choreography that will make your inner nerd explode with glee. But please do keep that in inside. No outward explosions at the show. I'm sure they would prefer. Uh, choreographed by one of their very own, uh, Nikki Bricks, who you may know. You can see Star Wars, Rick and Morty, Stranger Things, Sailor Moon, and more. VIP meet-and-greet tickets include early entry for a meet-and-greet and photos with the performers, one item autographed by the girls, crowd-free merch shopping, and a commemorative VIP laminate lanyard. So you can go right now to Facebook and look up Blackheart Burlesque. You can get your tickets via Ticketmaster, and it's an awesome show. Me and the missus went, like I said, a few months ago, and we had a blast. If you have a a significant other and you like ladies and you both enjoy sexy, cheesecakey, pop culture, nerdy shows, I highly recommend the Blackheart Burlesque Tour, and not just because uh, they seem to like me and want to come back on the show. So, uh, very cool. October 20th, check it out, Center Stage. You guys know how to use Google and get your tickets. And uh, I will be there once again enjoying the pop culture sexiness. So there you go. There, There is an ad that I honestly did not expect to be doing. So on to this week's episode of the show. I, I realized that's the time difference there on my first run through. This week, we are celebrating the uh, or 40 years of John Carpenter's original Halloween. This was recorded live at Dragon Con and features Mary Mancusi, who you may remember from last year's Friday the 13th panel. She's a huge slasher fan. She's an author, and she's great to talk to. Uh, Kat Scully, who I don't believe I had been on a panel with before, but somehow seemed familiar. I, I just... I, our sensibilities seem to be very much the same throughout the panel, so I think it was one of those things where it's like, we are we friends? Have we been friends? Are we? Okay, well, let's, yeah, cool. Uh, Valerie Hampton, who's always fun, and, of course, Clay Gilbert, who I love talking to and really want to get back on the show because he's a great guy, he's a brilliant guy, and uh, also he seems to annoy Derek a little bit, and I like that about him. Uh, but anyway, this is the Halloween 40th anniversary panel. It's all about anniversaries this week. Uh, A 40th anniversary panel recorded live at Dragon Con. You guys are going to dig it uh, because it's it's all about Halloween. We talk about the characters. We talk about the impact of the movie. We talk about the upcoming sequel. It's a really, really good conversation. And please do share it with your friends. Halloween. (laughs) 
All right, well, how are we feeling tonight, Horror Track? It's 7 p.m. Sunday at Dragon Con. We're all still mostly alive. That's good, right? Yeah. And we're here to talk about... Uh, yeah, yeah, we're a little of both. Half half one, uh, most of the other. Uh, we are here to talk about the beginnings of not only a legendary franchise, but a legendary genre. Uh, we're going to talk about the 1978 movie, Halloween. Uh, I'm Dave West, host of the Needless Things podcast. I'm going to be pretending to moderate this panel. Uh, to my left is... Uh, I'm Dr. Valerie Hampton, and I work at the University of Florida for medieval history, but I do that with in conjunction with popular culture. And I also am a horror indie film uh, maker. Hi, I'm Kat Scully. I am the author and illustrator of Jennifer Strange, a young adult horror that's coming out next July. It's basically pitched as um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children meets Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I have many fine bookmarks here, which you could take after the panel. Um, I've done world maps and marketing for over like 30 books uh, with many well-known names like Penguin and Random House. And uh, The most recent is Give the Dark My Love um, by Beth Rivas and Bruja Born by Zoraida Cordova. I'm Clay Gilbert. I write horror, science fiction, and uh, urban fantasy for Darkman Press. I've uh, published eight novels with a ninth one that's coming out in a couple of months. This is uh, the, m- the most recent in my Children of Avoy science fiction series, Anna and the Gates of Grace, and that's actually under development for television uh, by executive producer Joel Eisenberg and Council Tree, Pro- Council Tree Productions. Hopefully we'll be having some good news to share with you about that in the near future. Hi, I'm Mary Nancusi. I am also an author. Uh, I've written 25 books. Most recently, I write for Disney, uh, which I know has nothing to do with horror, but my personal, I'm a personal horror fangirl and a big fan of slasher films. Uh, 80s 80s uh, horror is my favorite, and so I'm really excited to be on the panel tonight. Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys, for coming out. I've just uh, discovered I don't have my notes, but that's okay, because <laughs> we love Halloween, and we're going to get through this thing. Uh, so... First, I want to talk a little bit about John Carpenter. Uh, for you guys, was this your first John Carpenter experience? When you saw Halloween for the first time, were you already aware of him? Mine was with The Thing, and I like that's still my favorite of his. So, the first one that I ever saw John Carpenter's was The Fog. And the thing, I think I watched them around, like the same time or the same week. And the funny way that I first saw Halloween was actually because I'm a really big fan of John Carpenter, but I hadn't seen Halloween, and I got stranded in Boston, by as one does um, for three days. And my friend Bracken McLeod, who's the author of Stranded, the tour, he took me in, like just took me in. But then we started talking about horror movies, and he's he started talking about Halloween. I'm like, I actually haven't seen that one. He said, you sleep in the garage until you've seen this film. <laughs> so he sat me down and watched it, and he said the best thing ever was seeing me jump at every part. Um, and I, it was funny because I'm such a horror fan, and I love his other work, And but I was still jumping at everything in it, so I have this tremendous love for this movie. And so I was very much aware of him, but there just hadn't been an opportunity to see it. I just hadn't rented it. It just hadn't happened. So it was so funny to me, though, because he was really ready to kick me out of his house. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely my first experience with Carpenter's work. Uh, I want to say the first time I saw it was a television broadcast, so it wasn't really an uncut edition. I didn't see it on video until a couple of years later, but definitely something different from what I was used to in horror, with horror movies and I grew up on horror movies and monster movies even prior to that so definitely my first experience with Carpenter um, so when I was younger I wasn't allowed to see horror movies uh, my parents were really strict 
But um, we were playing in the neighborhood, and I remember as a kid, um, there was this house that they had only built the foundation. We grew up in New England, so there was always these basements, and like they built these foundations that were really dangerous, and like so they were great to play in. And we would um, play Halloween because we had older kids that had seen it, and um, they were like, "Yeah, I'm Michael Myers, and I'm coming for you." And I was like, "But you can only walk, <laughs> like you can't run. Oh, well, that's easy." But it wasn't. It like really wasn't easy because you're running on these like narrow foundations, and he just keeps coming and coming. And I was like, "This is really scary." And so I always had like this Michael Myers character uh, in the back of my brain way before I had actually seen the film. And then sadly, I had to see Halloween 5 first, <laughs> because I was working at a movie theater, and I was too young to go to R-rated movies, because I was working there, I could like sneak in, and uh, that wasn't the best introduction to the franchise, obviously, uh, but that was my first actual, like, oh, okay, here's Michael Meyer. And, and that's actually a great segue, because that was going to be uh, my next, th- <coughs> excuse me, next topic for you guys. Oh my gosh, what just happened? <laughs> My next topic for you guys. Yeah, there's something floating around. Uh, With a lot of the horror franchises, most of them I'd say, I didn't see the first movie first. Uh, Because I'm 42 years old, so the 80s, the heyday of this stuff, I wasn't quite old enough to be experiencing any of them from the beginning. So I'd see them on cable or TBS late at night or uh, wherever. Was Halloween the first installment, Mary? We just heard it was not, unfortunately for you, the first one you saw. For me, it's very unusual because I saw the first one first. I saw the first one and the second one in the same night. Uh, I watched a lot of TNT up all night. (laughs) And they usually played all of them back to back. So it, it... Sometimes they have left out three, thank God. Um, So I I watched one, two, four, and then five. And so that's how I watched them. Do you remember if it was Gilbert Gottfried or Rhonda Shear? It was uh, both of them together because they they had uh, Gilbert, and then she would um, say... He'd do the intro, and then she would go up all night. <laughs> yeah, my my first was the first one. I went in order, um, and it I had a house like yours where my mom was very strict, and so I didn't really catch up on horror movies until I was in college. And I think um, even the first horror movie I ever saw was um, Texas Chainsaw, and it was like the first night I was in college. <laughs> um, and I've been trying to catch up on everything ever since. But when I watched it at Bracken's house that was the first time and I went through after that um, I didn't really see them on cable that often although I think it was on like part of AMC's horror rotation yeah, yeah. Um, but I could never catch it because I was either in class or something that's what I mean like I kept missing this movie for yeah. way too long it's like the band you want to see is coming into town when you're at yes. work all the time yes yeah. exactly your mom should talk to my mom because my mom was getting me to watch them at three <laughs> that would I I wish I could convince her to watch them now. <laughs> How about you, Clay? Was was this was this your first Halloween? Did you see them in order? Yeah, I did see them in order. Very good, very good. Now, looking back, having seen five first, did that? I mean, does that have an impact on your overall feel about the franchise, or have you sort of reconciled it since then? It's interesting, because um, I was always more of a Friday the 13th girl um, back in the day, Um, and I think it's because I did see that was my first slasher. I saw part four, which is actually a really good one to start with, Uh, uh, and uh, I was like in seventh grade at a sleepover, my mom didn't know, (laughs) and I thought it was really scary, and so that was sort of my first taste. And so by the time I saw five, I'm like, oh, this is just like Friday the 13th. But if I had seen one, um, and looking back now and going back and doing rewatches, you know, one, there's this purity too. And it's not a slasher in the sense that it's like all schlock and gore and, you know, TNA and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but mostly it's a suspense story. You know, like the, the actual payoff of the killing, I mean, that's part of it, but it's that lurking in the shadows of the background of the film, you know, that's so scary uh, in a way that just your typical slasher, oh, how, how, how are these kids going to get murdered and knocked off one by one? Uh, so there's a, definitely the more sincerity, sincerity and purity to the film that I didn't recognize as a kid, I think. 
Well, and, and also, it's different in that we have Donald Pleasance putting forth the urgency of the situation. He is very much the driving force of the movie, whereas in other slasher franchises, you don't necessarily always have that character that knows what the situation is and is it has that urgency that moves the plot forward like he does. Uh, what, what are some other... Speaking of Dr. Loomis, do you guys feel like... I mean, obviously, Donald Pleasance is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and his relationship to Michael, you know, we, we, we don't see in this one so much. We're very much aware that he knows what Michael is. But... Uh, they build to this big scene at the end where they finally have their moment. Uh, that's, again, very different from any slasher movie that we've really seen. It's a different kind of confrontation because we also have our sweet, not totally innocent Lori uh, involved. The way they brought these three characters together, as you've rewatched, because I'm sure we've all watched this movie many times now, uh, that structure, you guys want to talk about that a little bit? I think one of the brilliant things, one of the many brilliant things about the original Halloween is that instead of focusing in that voyeuristic way on the the, the killer himself, it's we're introduced to Michael more from the experiences of Laurie and, and her friends, uh, and we have these sort of testaments of terror from them about him as an absent force. You know, we don't see a lot of him on screen. Um, Not as an adult, anyway. I mean, you see more of him, you see that horrific killing when he's a kid at the very beginning of the film. That's more horrific in our heads than it actually is 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 on screen. Um, Which is tremendous. Because we have this witnessing of who, you know, witnessing to who he is by other people. And I think that was a brilliant way to do it later on. As much as I love Friday the 13th, and I am a Friday the 13th guy, those were the ones I saw all, almost all of in the theater. Uh, there was just a brilliance about the way that Carpenter set up Michael in the original film. That anything that we can imagine in our mind that's not on the screen is more scary. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan. And look, I love gore. I love seeing ridiculous, you know, oh, eviscerations <laughs> and beheadings and whatever else. Oh, yeah. But that, you know, that's one thing. But like you said, the picture we paint in our heads is going to be so much worse when if it's not shown on the screen. Because we're going to come up with sick stuff. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but, but as far as Lori goes, Jamie Lee Curtis turns in an amazing performance uh, and, and she's she's our touchstone for the movie. She's our the person we identify with that we're worried about. Uh, let's talk about her performance a little bit. I mean, I think it was an amazing performance, especially considering she was a completely new actor. You know, she had no experience. And no one on the cast. And there's a, um, I want to tell you, there's a documentary that you can watch on YouTube um, and it's really good. It's so good. You you linked it on Facebook yes. and I was like, I'm watching this beforehand. It's I called The Inside it. Story and it's a documentary of Halloween 1 and John Carpenter and all the players are in it and inter- being interviewed for it. And it shows, like, it's kind of like, it almost like Evil Dead in the sense, I don't know if you all know about how Evil Dead was kind of like this shoestring, you know, friends getting together, and it wasn't quite that, but it was like one, only one step above, they had a tiny budget, they were all brand new, they had no idea what they were doing, they are kind of making it up as they go along, and, to, and having new actors like Jamie, and just somehow it came together so amazingly like and again this like purity of like innocence of like we're gonna put together this film we're practically film students and then you know you put together watching that documentary really showed like how amazing it is that the final product looks like what it looks like i think it's the purity of john carpenter's vision Mm -hmm. i I think he knew you know there wasn't a committee uh the the studio really i mean he, he he was left to his own devices to do exactly what he wanted, and we got a, a pristine product because of that. Yeah, I was going to bring up that like the timing was so perfect, and I felt like it was the two of them really working together. You know, like her performance really matched his vision. Yes. It was perfect, so that everything that she did was you could tell it was timed by him, but she just nailed it. She absolutely nailed every single second she was on screen. It was wonderful. She got a lot of cues from her mother, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Janet, Janet Lee, for, for those that don't know, who famously uh, died in Psycho shower scene. We all know it. But my favorite thing is that she feels vulnerable in the right way, but she doesn't feel helpless in the wrong ways. Right. Like, I see that a lot, as, even more frequently now with women in horror films. And I get very picky about women in horror films because I'm such a Ripley fan of, like, yeah. taking agency and and what's the horrific thing that's happening. And I love her because she both takes agency, but she's also terrified the whole time. And she she is paranoid about, like, what's going to happen, but she still retains her sense of self, and she still, like, fights to stay alive. And she's this perfect balance of both, and I think that's why she's so relatable. Because we don't sit there yelling the scream, oh, you should be doing this. Right. But at the same time, we get so scared because she doesn't know quite what to do. She's just trying to run on instinct. Yeah, she's like an ultimate final girl. Mm-hmm. Well, she she projects a very human, relatable terror and isn't just a screaming ninny. Yes. We which, have two, which is, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. The movie gives us two really anchoring perspectives about Michael. We get Laurie's perspective, which is more like the viewer can sort of identify with being her in that circumstance. And then we get Loomis's clinical perspective, but they're both voices of authority in different ways that I think really shape the way that a viewer sees that film and relates to that film. And they both, even though Loomis is a clinical psychologist, I mean, he's pretty terrified. It seems like he is pretty terrified of Michael also. It, the terror just manifests itself in a different way than it does for Laurie. So we're getting these twin visions of how horrific Michael is just from different types of voices. And well, I think one, that's powerful. It's one of the reasons Loomis is so effective. He is a man of science. Uh-huh. We are introduced to him as our straightforward science man character, but he's referring to Michael or he's referring to, to Michael as pure evil. Yep. That's not a term clinical science people throw around all the time. So right there in, in a very smart way you're letting the audience know you need to be terrified of this monster. Uh, what other for you personally what what is your connection with that first Halloween? What's, what's the one thing about it that makes it one you watch over and over again? Like one moment or one particular uh, mood throughout the movie? music. I think the music yeah. really brings it home. I just It's so creepy. It still kind of gives you the chills even as you see it for the thousandth time or whatever. Uh, it really pulls it all together. I like the, uh, well, it's uh, my daughter's favorite of the three main slasher movies, so we watch it more often. I, I like the Friday 13th, so we'll watch that for me and we'll watch Halloween with our I think it's a combination of the music and the camera techniques and the brilliant decision to set it on that holiday too with all the trappings and traditions that are attached to that holiday those three things for me um, even though Friday the 13th came along and I mean that's another set of traditions and, hol- and holidays I don't think that would have happened had Carpenter not built the foundation that he built with Halloween and done it as well as he did. I think for me it was definitely the the filming of it and kind of the composition. Like, Just the one thing that sticks out for me forever is when he's standing outside the bushes and it's that long shot and then he's gone, the next shot. And at, I've seen other movies do that, but never as good as Halloween. And I've seen many other films follow trying to do that. But the way that it was achieved, like, it stays with me so much more. I think every shot of this film, I, can, I could storyboard it in my mind. Yeah. And I think that the imagery is why I keep coming back to this film. And I just felt like not only was the writing in place, the acting in place, but the way it was shot... Especially for its budget. I mean, I'm a big Evil Dead fan, so I'm a fan of that whole shoestring budget film, friends getting together sort of feel. And this this transcended that into something yeah. that everything tried to imitate after. I mean, I think of It Follows trying to do the same kind of thing with it. And it, like the same long shot of the girl walking 
towards and then suddenly gone um, or the various forms that it takes and it's like I know where they're trying to do what they're trying yeah. to mimic here and it's just never going to be as good but I love I love that that imagery will always stick in my mind that he's just that good of a master yeah and like you said he didn't have a lot of like leeway to shoot something 10 times you know he had to shoot it and have a vision that was clear enough that like we shoot it we're done like this is what we're doing and just the fact that it was all able to come together without any like you know a billion retakes and 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 extra film um i did see a fun fact speaking of it being halloween on that documentary that said they shot in california and so it wasn't fall at all it didn't look fall they had one bag of leaves like one trash bag of leaves that they used over and over and they have to go the whole cast had to go, go pick, like, it up. pick it up james was like yeah we were picking up leaves and was, like throwing them back in the bag between shoots that's how she was trained this thing was and and speaking of that documentary and the connection that that jamie lee curtis and john carpenter seem to have if you listen to their commentary on the movie Halloween, which was recorded probably 15 years ago now, I'm not sure. But anyway, they have such a great chemistry and camaraderie together. They're so much fun to listen to. And you can just tell, like when you watch the movie, obviously she's doing her job. But you can tell where that extra level of performance came from, that she connected with his vision. And uh, that, I think what I love about it is the precision, the simplicity uh, there's, there's not really any wasted time in this movie. There's nothing flashier than it needs to be. It's, it's very, uh, it's very matter of fact. That nothing schmaltzy or over dramatic. And look, I, I can enjoy that stuff too. But this isn't that. This is he, he knows the story he's telling. He gets to the point, but on the way, just keeps ramping up the tension. And, and that's why I, I, I just love the, the clarity of vision on this movie. Uh, let's talk about the mask. One of the most iconic, I mean, I, everybody knows the hockey mask, but I would say that the Michael Myers mask, personally, I think is the most chilling, disturbing horror headpiece, I guess. And, and we all know it's, it was a Shatner mask that they reconstituted for Michael. And over the years it's changed, but we're not going to talk about that this year. <laughs> but seeing that mask now, knowing where it came from, does that affect you at all when you watch the movie? Like, now that we all know what the base of it was? I don't think so. I think it still has a very visceral reaction of this empty, socketed eyes. You know, like, just... it. it is still terrifying even knowing that it was a Shatner mask. And I think the mask, they painted it really well in the first one. You look at some of the later ones and it really feels much more flat. And I don't know, there was just, there's a dimension to it um, that I see in the first one that didn't really carry through later on. I don't know why they didn't just save the mask and use it again, but they created a new mask every movie and some of them are terrible. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, the first one just really looks good. They should have at least made sure, because I can't believe that they could only find a William Shatner mask for that first movie. Why, I mean, why couldn't they order another William Shatner mask from somewhere and spray it again? I mean, at least it would have looked better than those. Maybe by that point, the movie got too big for them to even consider using something that was like a licensed product like that. Maybe so. Like, they really couldn't have gotten away with it. Because I'm sure, like, Halloween 2, I'm sure it got money. But it didn't get huge, like budget-wise, it didn't get huge money, so they don't want to spend, you know, okay, we're going to have to go to Shatner because he knows about this now, or not Shatner, probably Paramount or somebody, right? because they know about this now. But, yeah, I think that even if you don't know, and when I first saw the movie, I didn't recognize that the mask was patterned after Shatner's face, even though I was a huge Star Trek fan, uh... But knowing that, it kind of gives Michael this sense of a person who's had his humanity bleached out of him the way that Shatner's image is bleached out of that mask by that white paint. So it's a powerful image in that way. I I was going to agree with all of you. I mean, really, as an artist looking at that mask and having absolutely no idea it was Shatner, um, I was the most creeped out by that of anything in the movie because looking at it, it is the barest impressions of what a face is. Yeah. Like, I've drawn faces a lot, and it's basically like we've gotten the most bare minimum amount that we can so that he looks like he can people at all. And I think 
the creepiest thing to me is that, like with Jason, you have the mask, but you know there's a face behind it. When I look at Mike, Michael's face, I feel like there's nothing behind it. There's no understand. There's nothing. It's just the void behind, and it's trying to look out at you in the barest impression of a human. And that's what scared me so much about him. Yeah. Um, and why I was jumping every time is because I felt like the void staring back into me, looking at that face. Um, so I felt like the first mask was absolutely perfect. There was a lot of lighting tricks, too, that I think really made it work. You know, that where she's standing in the forefront, and you see him sort of fading in and out. Um, so I think they did a really good job, uh, especially on the budget that they had, to make the lighting on the mask really look mysterious and scary. Yeah, well, I don't think you're oh, ever shown. I don't think Carpenter ever shows you Michael's eyes behind that mask. Whereas in the Friday the Thirteenth movies, there are always in every film at least one or two shots where you can see Jason's eyes behind the mask. So you always have that human connection with Jason. But there's not anything of that. Actually, that's exactly what there I'm saying. are a couple of shots, and they're very, are they very really? specifically placed. Oh. And here, here's what I was going to say is we watch this mask with these empty holes throughout this whole movie and it's horrifying. And part of you wants there to be a human, something relatable to yeah. the shape. Then at the end of the movie, the mask comes off for a split second. That's right. That's right. And it's so much worse seeing a human face. under. To, to me, that's one of the scariest yeah. parts of the whole movie is actually seeing that, and, and it's not, it's not deformed. It's not, it's no. not marred up, scarred up in any way. It's just some dude, and I can't remember the actor's name. It, it was, it was not uh, one of. The, it was somebody they specifically hired for that scene. But it's just some dude. He, he could have worked at a gas station if if he hadn't been a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> but uh, th- yeah, that to me is. is one of the most disturbing parts of the whole movie is that reveal and John Carpenter very clearly builds to that moment where you've kind of given up on seeing Michael Myers' face. You're kind of past it and then it happens and you're like, I didn't want that. No, put it back. Put the the mask back on. He anticipated all of our expectations. Yeah, yeah, he really does. He really does. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what Carpenter's a genius at. Yes. Uh, so it, it taking place on Halloween is very significant. Do you think if it had not, we'd be talking about it right now? Is is the holiday that integral to this movie as good as this movie is? I don't think the holiday is integral to the movie. I think the holiday was integral to the marketing of the movie. It was an easy shortcut uh, to say, hey, this is something everyone can relate to, a horror movie set on Halloween. Very easy, very simple to market. Just like Friday the 13th, they came up with the title before they even had any plot or any idea of what they would do, and they made a poster, and they took out like an ad in the New York Times that said, like, Friday the 13th coming, and they had no idea what that was, but just this idea of setting it on a holiday, which, of course, is very similar copying of what Halloween did. So, yeah, they may have not ever found their audience back then, and, and this was, of course way before Netflix or, you know, indie, you can stream, you know, you can find things now a lot yeah. easier. If they didn't discover it in the theater, they would now, it would just die and slow death more quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I wonder, because, they, I mean, there are tons and tons and tons of amazing movies out there that didn't have that hook to get audiences in that didn't see the success that Halloween has and maybe should have. So I, I, I do think it's an important part of the film's success but not of the film itself. Now, the third one had to be on Halloween. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. I love the third one. I do. <laughs> I think there's an element of myth-making uh, that the setting gives to the film that it wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, it is pretty much a marketing, a handy marketing device. I have to agree with that. But within the film itself, there's a bit of there's a bit of it a bit of myth making, playing with the idea of Michael wearing that mask and juxtaposing him with the shots of the kids wearing masks and costumes and that sort of thing. And if one is inclined to go beneath beneath the surface, then there's a mythic uh, resonance to be had out of that that wouldn't be available if he were walk if it were Random kid kills 
kills parents and sister and grows up to be random adult coming back to town and killing kids or whoever in Haddonfield, Illinois. Well, you know, you, you could have had the scenario of him putting the clown suit on and killing his sister and, and just played it that way, but it does make it more palatable that there was an occasion for him to be in a clown suit. So when she turns around, she's just like, ah, what are you doing in here? As opposed right. to, and why are you wearing a clown suit? <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it does lend, you know, it does lend itself to the narrative. What I don't get is, and on a rewatch as a parent, I'm like, why are you all going out and having babysitters on Halloween night? Are you taking your kids trick-or-treating? Like, in my neighborhood, it's like, everyone takes their kids trick-or-treating. You know, you bring the booze and the wagon along with you. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't make for a plot Every single parent in town seemed to have gone to some epic party for adults only, and everyone's got a babysitter that night on Halloween, which seems very odd. Maybe in the 70s it was different. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's another function of myth-making that's going on in the in the movie that that kind the kind of world in which the kind of urban world in which well suburban world in which that can happen might leave the space for someone like a Michael Myers to happen. Yeah, when I, I grew up the adults were all having parties and the kids were let to go trick or treat by themselves. It's small town. Yeah. But I, I think that we would still be talking about Halloween today, but maybe not in the same way. And probably not the same title, for sure. It'd be yeah. something else. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember researching with John Carpenter. He has always struggled with, this is what I've made, and this is how the studio wants to market it. And the fact that it was tied in with Halloween, as you were mentioning, it did reach a wider spread of people. The, the type of people that are like, oh, it's the Halloween season. I want to go do what I don't normally do and go see a horror movie. So it reaches not just horror fans, but a, another market of fans. And it tends to have a wider spread that way. I also think it's because like his other work, like The Fog, The, um, the Thing, has a supernatural element to it and it wasn't marketed around like a certain amount, like a holiday basically, where people would be in that mood to do, oh okay, I want to see this kind of film at this time of year. Um, and which is very, very effective. Uh, and there are parts that could be off-putting to the wider audience that aren't typically horror fans. But with Halloween, when they went into the theaters, they found, oh my gosh, I can absolutely relate to this. And so I think that we'd still be talking about it for sure because of the way that it's written, not just the holiday it's around. You bring up a really good point. If it had not been set at Halloween, would we even consider it a horror movie or would it be more of a thriller? Right. Which I realize that's kind of a blurry designation. It's a blurry... But yeah. it's firmly in the horror camp yes. as is. But it, but it could be looked at a little differently without that setting. I, I can see that point, though I just have a, my own pet peeve of every time a horror movie transcends, then it's not a horror movie anymore. I know. So I, know. I, know. I hate uh, that. I know. I hate that. It can that. still be horror and be good. So horror is not a dirty word. Yeah. <laughs> that bugs me, too, just like all the crap that happened when it came out and because yes. it had attention to character details, suddenly it's a character study. It's not a horror film. And I think huh. that to pull it back to Halloween and not go off on a big tangent about it... Uh, the influence, the I think what separate what would still separate Halloween and make it a th- make it a horror film rather than a thriller is that there is not any attention paid to Michael's psychology. Michael is a killing force, and he's that's reinforced all the way through the movie, especially by having Loomis's perspective there. There's no an- analysis of Michael as a psychologically damaged kid or yeah, whatever. He's not Max Cady. Yeah. He's not Max Cady. No, he's Kick not. Fear. He's not. And so the emphasis is on his effect on that community and his effect is an effect of horror. So to me, I, I don't know, I don't buy the psychological thriller interpretation yeah. of Halloween on any level. Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. You're right. We'd yeah, still be talking about it in a different way, though. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. No doubt about that. No doubt about it. Uh, are there any things you guys came specifically wanting to talk about today? Mary, I, you clearly have something in mind. Oh, I was just thinking about the Rob Zombie version <laughs> and how it is a psychological study. And, and I was curious everyone's thoughts on, you know, 
basically taking off the mask of Michael and then giving him this entire backstory and reasons for doing it because clearly that was not what John Carpenter intended. I mean, they called Michael Meyer in the script the shape. They wanted him to be, you know, personality-less, just pure evil. They didn't want that. And even in, like, the later movies, they keep trying to give him, like, oh, it's his sister. Oh, it's, you know, like, oh, there's some cult. You know, like, there's all these, like, explanations. And I guess you can't just do the same movie over. You have to add to the mythology. But I do think that took away from the purity of the first movie of just this mindless killer, pure evil, whatever. Uh, I obviously love the original. However, there is a place in my heart for the very different, but to me, very compelling Rob Zombie story <laughs> that went across two movies. Uh, and, and no, it's not the same thing at all, but I'm cool with that because I like different tellings and different points of view of the same story. That's very interesting to me. Uh, and I, I, you know, I support anything Rob Zombie does. I just wish he'd get somebody else to write his dialogue. <laughs> My gosh, humans don't talk like that. No, no, they don't. Uh, but I, but I dig those. I dig both of those. You, you look like you don't. Oh, I'm actually the opposite camp, or in a way, because I really like seeing new takes on things. I really like seeing. New, new things expressed, new artists coming forward. I pretty much when a remake comes out, I go see it, yeah, just to give it a shot. And I go and I don't. I try not to have expectations because I don't like the thing that I love will always be there, Absolutely. and I always will love it. But I felt like the thing that worked about this particular story was not demasking him, and I want that to stay. And I feel like every horror movie doesn't need a sympathetic explanation to its character or its antagonist, its monster. I don't want the explanation. I feel like Patton Oswalt about what his rant about fandom, if you haven't heard it, he's talking about Star Wars. So I don't need to know how Darth Vader was made. I just love the stuff I love. That's kind of how I feel when I'm seeing, okay, now we're going to demask Michael and we're going to sure, talk about who sure. he is. But at the same time, I, like, I agree with you that I support... Rob Zombie, I love what he did, but I felt like what worked for me about this movie, about every everything in it, was that I didn't know, yeah. and that, and I feel like fear for me comes from isolation and not knowing, mm -hmm. and the better you can do that, the better the horror it is for me personally. Well, and not just not knowing, but the fact that there wasn't anything behind Michael Myers' evil. Like, that is very, very effective. Like, there's as, no as reason. He just... Terror. Right. He just is. Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah. As John Carpenter describes him, a force of nature. <laughs> I definitely... I agree. ...did not love the first, <laughs> the first Rob Zombie Halloween. I could not not love it anymore. I don't think it is possible for me to not love it anymore than I don't love it. Um, I did not need to see... Michael Myers as a kid torturing animals I didn't need any any of that and then especially after being that different showing us that much more of what Carpenter didn't show us for them to for Rob Zombie just to go to sleep for the latter half of the movie and ape every shot of the Carpenter movie let's be edgy and original in the first part and then let's just rip off someone else's movie for the latter half of a really bad ugh, just awful remake but I love Halloween 2 um, I loved Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 I thought it was fantastic I liked the fact that it he was done with remaking the original and then he didn't attempt to remake um well, he Rick teased Rosenthal's. us. He, used he a little teased bit of us at the beginning. Uh -huh. He's like, okay, mm -hmm. so we're getting a remake of, of two now. Uh, of I remember that. Film, but yeah. really, he started getting into the, the surrealism and all of that pretty fast, and that was what was awesome about his Halloween, too. Um, all that whole surrealism stuff was just fantastic. I didn't expect it at all. And um, <laughs> it was great. That, that, that part of it was great. And I actually own Hall uh, Halloween, his Halloween 2. I own the original Halloween 2 also. But I wouldn't take the Rob Zombie Halloween in my collection if you gave it to me for Christmas <laughs> or whatever else. <laughs> uh, anyone else got any specifics they want to mention about the but original? Everyone has their own opinion. Alright, I'll throw one, another one out there. Um, but it's actually yeah. about part two. I, I have a 
So I feel like one and two really connect so well that I almost feel, and this is not taking away from what part one was, but I do feel the ending of part one was very abrupt. And if you think of part two, if you watch them together and think of part two as the third act of a bigger story, I do think it works that way. And so I, I'm a big fan of part two, and I like what they, they did. Um, after that, you know, I, well, I like part three on a different, of course, way, but after that, they're all just sloppy and like, oh, we made money, let's make more. And, you know, they don't have any respect for the source material, and it's bloody and fun and whatever, but not, you know, what the originals were. But I do think two really stands up. I, I, I can't I watch mean, one without the other. Yeah. I, I just watch them both. When I, I do one. too. I, I think that it's almost right there, at the, almost at the same level. The only thing it's missing is it's obviously not Carpenter behind the camera because there's some yeah. stylistic touches. But it's clear too that Carpenter was very involved in that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my understanding, and somebody who's a little bit more of a hardcore Carpenter fan can correct me on this, but my understanding is Carpenter just had something else he was doing at the time so he didn't want to direct it for some reason, but he wrote the screenplay, I think, and uh, or at least wrote the story he was he produced it, and uh, yeah, it, it feels almost like one of his movies, except in Rosenthal's approach to violence it's much yeah. more visually graphic than Carpenter would have made it um, otherwise, it has some of the mystery and some of the some of the effective shots that perhaps Carpenter might have done, but the, the violence is way more pronounced than I think. You never would have seen... I don't think John Carpenter would have had the scene where the kid comes to the hospital with the razor blade in his mouth from the... I mean, there might have been an implication of that, but we wouldn't have, saw the blo- wouldn't have yeah. seen the bloody mouth with the razor blades. It's just a subtle difference of style. But I love Halloween 2. I think it's great. I love both Halloween 2s, apparently. Halloween two, we're gonna get. Or the fourth Halloween two, something like that. Yeah. So we should talk about the new movie, right? Or what? Yeah. Yeah. Our expectations. Expectations. Gosh. Oh. I don't. I mean, uh, look. I want it to be amazing. Uh, The little bits of it we've seen. Uh, are exciting for me. What about you guys in the room? Are you guys like, are you excited or are you? Good, good, good. I mean, look, I'm excited. Uh, as you said about remakes, I look forward to remakes and reboots. Like, I go in with cautious optimism. But I want to see what a new artist's vision is for something that I love. And I'm not always happy with it, but I'm there for it. Especially if it's a franchise that I love. Uh, but th- this is somewhat of an untested team in this genre, for the most part. We've seen good things lately from untested teams in this genre, yes, so we I'm have. looking forward to that. And I think I was sold when I saw her practice shooting, mm-hmm. and she's been. I I was like, okay, I, I'm in for it because of what they did with Jamie Lee Curtis and how she's just. I'm like, okay, I'm there for that. I <laughs> I'm going to love that. So I'm I'm excited, just like everyone else in the room is. Yeah, uh, I do independent films, and my uh, friend that works with me, she's out in Hollywood, does trailers, and she did the, one of the trailers for this one, and she's really hyped about it. Oh, very cool. Very well, she cool. did a great job. <laughs> it, was real, it sold me. I was like, I'm here for it. I was very hesitant, but I'm like, this looks awesome. I like the I like the latest trailer that I've seen, too. But I'm still very skeptical about the marketing. I, if I were a studio executive, I would not have called it Halloween again. I mean, there are going to be. Yeah. It's clearly in all the promo promo materials. Well, all the printed promo. The thing is, how many people read articles anymore? I mean, people look at stuff, but yeah. do we? Do they read? And unless they read, uh, they're going to not know that this is a sequel. They're going to think it's a remake. You know, I think to average Joe, because we all, everybody understands that everybody here at Dragon Con, we generally have a better awareness of genre stuff, of pop culture, oh, yeah. than just the average Joe. It's come a lot further than it was 20 years ago, but in general, we're still the ones that look at this stuff and we know, okay, this is actually a continuation from the first movie, but I think average Joe, like the, the bulk of your consumer public, 
all they, if they're interested at all, they just say, oh, it's Halloween. It's another Halloween movie. I'm going to go see it. Like they, To them, to us, it matters where it falls in the continuity, how true it's going to be to what we know. But to them, it's just, oh, I've liked the, the couple of those that I've seen, however many of them there are. Cool, I'll go see it. Like That's really all that matters. But I do agree, and, and I want to see if we get a consensus. Yeah, I think it was terrible just to call it Halloween. Right. I think I that's too. I think that's silly. Do you guys mostly agree yeah. with that? Yeah. But what do we call it? H four two. No. You you get out of here. You can call it like Michael. Yeah. 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 Or the shape. Yeah. That just Michael Myers. Head and feet. I mean, I think you're right. I think no no one outside of like horror fandom cares uh, where it falls, uh, and they're just going to be like, "Oh, dude, it's Halloween, so let's go see a Halloween horror yeah. movie." Um, yep. And I think it will do well um, in that. I hope it's respectful to the source material and also accessible to the layperson. Because remember, we're so many years, what is it, 40 years? Um, yep. So there's a whole new generation of kids, or not kids, but you know, like, my kids, um, that are going to come see this. And this is going to be their first Michael Meyer movie. And I don't want, my first Michael Myers movie was Halloween 5. <laughs> I hope this is a good introduction to the series. So then they can go back and say, I like this. Where did it all begin? And maybe it'll be their gateway drug, you know, to the, to the franchise. So, I'm always hoping that, yeah. the gateway drug, <laughs> to yeah. get more teens. And <laughs> with, with Jamie Lee Curtis's involvement and with what I perceive to be genuine enthusiasm for the project from her, mm-hmm. I trust them to put together a story that's cohesive on its own. I feel like they'll like we'll open with a flashback or some reasonable summary of the events of the first movie. Uh, I don't I can't imagine they'll use any footage because I don't know how you'd match up the film type in this day and age. But uh, they'll figure out a a shorthand way to get the point across and then put us into it 40 years later. I I, I trust that at least that they'll understand that they have to provide a a narrative that stands on its own in that way. And I do think they are being respectful to the fandom because the little nod and wink when they're like, oh, isn't that her brother? Oh, no, that was just a rumor. It's a great, like... Hey, fandom! You know, like we we know you, we see you out there, and yeah. so that was I, I a great nod. And how do you guys feel about that? Actually, since two did come up, and and two is where, although that documentary you put up, they mentioned that there was a scene in one about Lori being Michael's sister uh, that got cut. Uh, but in Halloween two, they, that's the story they're going with. Uh, disregarding everything else, how do you guys feel about that revelation? Is it, is it kind of like a, Ugh, I wish I had done that, or is it really not matter? I'm going to hold out judgment. I liked that it was his sister, um, but I'm going to hold out judgment and see, see how they do it. That's how I feel, too. I just want to hold judgment and see what it is. Yeah. I want to give it a fair shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the, the new film. My only my only problem is just the advertising. But, I, but to weigh in on the other issue, I've always kind of like the fact that she was his sister I know you know there was an element of everything he's doing is random uh, in the original and that works for the original but if you make a film 40 years later there needs to be a reason for him to come back after her in particular and the one thing that the thing that was best about the sister idea was it gave him a motivation for continuing to stalk her Um, that's that's it that's all I have to say about that I don't have any issue with branching timelines. I'm fine that because this this is just in case anybody's not clear, the new one that's coming out is a follow up to the first movie and disregards everything else, even Halloween two, that at the time picked up the second the first movie ended. So they're also going to have to do some explanation as to what happened to Lori, what happened to Michael, what and maybe they don't explain what he's been doing the last forty years. Maybe maybe he's just out there. I mean, I don't think he's been working at a gas station, <laughs> even though his. It seems face. like it's going to be more about like why now for Lori, yeah, than why now for Michael. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like she's preparing for this and has been preparing for this, but why? 
and why this long. That's yeah, why, why I'm interested to see explored. Why is she sure? Why is she so sure? <laughs> That's a lot. She sh- yeah. <laughs> that he is coming back. What? Why? Yeah. Why That's what I want to see. That? Well, That's well, it. Because if you if you look at it realistically, yes, you're going to have horrible trauma from what she went through, but you're not necessarily going to like arm yourself and turn into a, a, a warrior. It's a very and much Sarah Connor plot line. It is. It, it is. absolutely is. It a, is. Except that Sarah Connor knew she the knew Judgment for Day sure. was coming. Uh, and, and we don't yet know how or why Lori knows her own personal Judgment Day is coming. Which is going to be an interesting thing to find out. Alright, we've got to wrap this thing up. Uh, before we go, everybody down the line what do you do? Where can we find you online? And final thought about the original Halloween. Let's start with you, Mary. Um, I am doing the Handmaid's Tale panel tonight at 10, the mature themes of the Handmaid's Tale, uh, down the Apocalypse track. And um, I am doing um, American Horror Story tomorrow at 1. Uh, it's going to be kind of a uh, audience participation panel. I think I'm just going to be up here chatting with whoever is a fan and wants to talk about the last season, what's going to be happening in the new season, and just the show in general. Uh, so those are two things that you can find me. And um, my last thought on Halloween, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just one of those films that stays with you. Uh, it's not it's not schlocky, it's, it's not silly, it's not over the top, and I, like you said, I, I like that kind of stuff. I, I'm a fan of Hostel and Saw. I mean, I like it all the way. Yeah. In that sense, but um, I do think there's a, a purity to this film that we don't often see, and I, I do see it in indie filmmakers sometimes, um, you know, recently, and that's really great too. I'm going to be on the rest of the panels uh, from in this room for the rest of the day, and then I'm downstairs on the uh, not downstairs, downstairs in the Hyatt uh, for the Dawn of the Dead uh, anniversary panel that we're doing to, to wrap up the night. Uh, as far as Halloween goes, I think the original Halloween is just an untouchable classic that defined a whole segment of the horror genre um, for history. For history. I thought of one more thing that <laughs> I really wanted to mention. Um, if you wanted something really funny, Angry Video Game Nerd does a rant on Halloween and the sequels and like the order they're in and where they <laughs> fall, and it's hilarious. So look that up uh, if you want to laugh. So I'm going to be here in this room next on the let the right one in 10th anniversary panel. So if you want to see that, definitely stay and check it out. And we'll talk about vampires. Um, and <laughs> yay! Uh, you can find me online at katherinescully.com or on Instagram if you want to see my art. Uh, lots of creepy art and maps. Um, so I swing one way in horror or fantasy, and I'm on Cat M Scully on Instagram and Twitter. And my final thought on Halloween, I think it's, I think that's that I hope that there is going to be a new generation of shoestring budget filmmakers that try to make their own kind of artistic horror like it. And I feel like I have some hope with things I've seen recently, like Hereditary. That made me like, oh, I'm, I'm very hopeful that there's good things to come. So I'm... I think that that's my final thought. I'm very hopeful for the future, and I'm excited to see the new film and see how the story plays out. Yeah, I'm with you on the uh, independence, and I hope that's going to pan out with uh, a lot more of them, because I mainly watch independent right now. That's where you find a lot of good films. And... uh, this is my last panel. I've been on way too many this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm Dave West. Uh, I'm headed over to the Marriott at 10 p.m. to do a panel on the anniversary of Dawn of the Dead for the Classics track, which should be a lot Woo! of fun. And that's all we got for you, folks. Remember, we are taking, uh, I don't have the charity card up here, but Dragon Con's charity this year, we are taking donations right here. So if you want to stop by on your way out, drop some cash in the bucket. I promise it's not for Derek's booze habit. (laughs) Thank you, Horror Track. Thank you, panelists. Everybody have a great rest of your time. I wanted to point out 
that there's a poll in the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. If you are not a member, you can go and join right now. The poll's up in the announcements, which used to be penned posts, but now they're called announcements, uh, which maybe makes more sense. I don't know. I wish you could put a time on them, though, because people often forget to, to reset them as regular posts. But anyway, there's a poll to determine what the final remaining October podcast slot will be because everything else is planned. I have one open slot and uh, we were going to do both of these, but we just don't have the time now. Stephen King adaptations or Halloween costumes, a group retrospective, which would be a a panel of us just talking about uh, Halloween costumes, what we've worn over the years, how they've changed over the years, that sort of thing. And right now, Halloween costumes is ahead by three. Stephen King adaptations is at three. And I'll say this. Stephen King adaptations is not necessarily confined to the Halloween season. So I guess it does make more sense to do the Halloween costumes thing. But go to the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. Join up. make uh, Cast your vote for which episode you would rather hear in the final remaining slot for October. And that's all I got for today. Uh, it's exciting to have a sponsorship type thing going on again with the Suicide Girls. Uh, it's exciting to be going out of town for the Vampire Ball this weekend. And it's exciting that it's the Halloween season. I need to get back on track with horror movies, though. Netflix just put Monty Python on, like like all of it, almost. And I've kind of gotten sidetracked. Uh, but that's okay, because we'll do that episode sometime in the future. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.